ulterior. Y'all see the video of 6ix9ine getting pieced up in a gym? That was crazy. Um, there is a lot to get through in this episode because I touched grass over the weekend, so I kind of want to relay some thoughts over that, and then I have to, well, I don't have to, but I'm choosing to be negative about something for once, and then after that, we'll get into everything that there is related to new music from the scene. There are a couple of brand new singles from the likes of The Devil Wears Prada and Scene Queen and a couple of others, and then brand new records by Darknet, Bayside, 100 Gex, Gideon, and Invent Animate. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for tapping in and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. As I stated in the intro, I touched grass. And by that, I meant that I went to the Hell We Create tour. So I was there for Fit for a King, North Lane, Alpha Wolf, and Kingdom of Giants. I'm going to say that this was potentially the best show that I've ever been to. But I will also add on that this was the first concert that I was ever drunk at. So maybe that needs to be taken into consideration. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe all the bands just hooped. I mean, regardless of how I felt uh, in my head, they were actually really, really good. Everybody, uh, Kingdom of Giants, for being an opener who's just supposed to like get the crowd warmed up, you know, there was a pit, people were stage diving. It was genuinely fucking amazing. I thought they were a stellar act. Alpha Wolf has some of the best stage presence and energy that I've ever seen from any band. Like everybody there, even if they may not have known who Alpha Wolf were at the time, they were involved. Everybody had this, um, like, again, energy and passion for what Alpha Wolf were doing. And I thought that was really, really cool. North Lane, I cannot say enough good things about. I feel like I don't actually give North Lane enough credit on this show or their flowers in that regard. I know I talked about Obsidian last year when reviewing it. And then there was no mention in the year-end stuff about the album or any singles for Top 100 songs. In hindsight, I feel like Carbonize maybe should have been Top 100, if anything. But the entire set list by Northlane... Okay, first of all, I don't remember everything they played because by that point, I was kind of gone. But it sounded amazing. And I have videos on my phone to kind of uh, remind me, okay, they played this, they played that. And Northlane are, are just impeccable they're awesome i love them this was my second time seeing fit for a king the first one was a couple months ago on the true power tour on that show they were uh, second on the bill this time headlining much longer set much more energy the audience i thought was fucking sick getting into the pit for god of fire is honestly one of the greatest moments of my life i felt so just like alive and in the moment at that point. And there was nothing that could uh, deflate my mood when that fucking song is playing and just being there for Fit for a King and being in that crowd, being close to the stage. It was genuinely incredible. I loved everything about it. Again, amazing show. Um, I I've not really been like a concert merchant before for, for different reasons, but I do fully intend from this point on to make a real effort to attend any shows that are near me that I have interest in, 
like even marginal interest, if anything, like I want to be there. I want to be in that setting, in that environment, because it's a lot more therapeutic than I thought it was. And realizing that all this time later, after having been in the scene for like 20 years and being uh, 27 years old right now, I understand that that's probably an L on my part, but I'm trying to correct that. And yeah, if you see me at a show, say what's up. If you care about this podcast, buy me a drink. That would be fucking sweet. I'm not going to force you to do that, but you know, something. But yeah, that was my recount of the How We Create Tour. Amazing time. And that, that that's going to shift right now because I always talk about the best singles of the week first. And then whenever something was like, you know, not very good, I kind of just give some like brief explanation towards the end of that segment of the show. For this week, I'm going to talk about a song from last week that I absolutely genuinely fucking hated. And if I'm keeping it a stack with all of you, it pains me that I hated it. The song is called Nobody, and it is the brand new single from Avenged Sevenfold. This is the worst song I have heard so far this year. It is the only song I believe thus far in the ratings on social media to get a one out of five. And the only reason it got a one and not a zero is because I didn't feel like breaking my stupid scale for the sake of this. But I, if I was ever going to give any song that I've ever talked about a zero, it would have been this one. This is so, so far removed from anything about this band that I loved. And I understand how entitled or elitist that might sound because, you know, every band or or almost every band undergoes a stylistic change at some point. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I have always tried to look at like the brighter side of everything. So like, for example, last year, Architects had uh, the symptoms of a broken spirit. I think that's what it was called. And most of the reactions I saw online were generally negative about it. And they came from a place of, I am so attached to this band's older material. And so for that reason, I don't have an attachment to this new sound that is so different from what it was that I fell in love with. And I feel like if that is your stance on something like that, fine, you know, it is what it is. You are allowed to feel however you want to feel. I have always tried to stay away from that type of a mindset. And I've always tried to, again, look at the bright side of every stylistic change. But I just cannot bring myself to do that for Avenged Sevenfold. Something that I want you guys to understand is that Avenged Sevenfold made me fall in love with music. I think I've said before that Linkin Park introduced me to alternative music and then there were bands afterwards like uh slipknot mudvane limp biscuit il nino who kind of like made me appreciate music but like actually falling in love with this medium and making alternative music my everything and a giant centerpiece of my world that was avenged sevenfold's doing that was through waking the fallen and city of evil and self-titled in my opinion 
the greatest three album stretch in the history of music. From a pure talent and ability standpoint, 2000's Avenged Sevenfold, if I can cherry pick that era of their career, might be the most talented band in history. All of them, all five of them, had unique characteristics and unique abilities that made them stand out from each other and stand out from all of their contemporaries. Matt, Sin, Zaki, Johnny, and Rev. They all brought something to Avenged Sevenfold that made that band so, so fucking special. City of Evil was genuinely my second favorite album of all time. I don't know why I said was, it is. How I feel about Nobody doesn't change how I feel about prior Avenged Sevenfold. But when I look at the trajectory of the band, and I don't mean to, I'm not trying to say this is what caused the band to go into a bad, in my opinion, bad direction. But when I look at the trajectory of them ever since Nightmare, which coincided sort of with uh, Rev's passing, it's not the same band. And again, I don't want to be that person who's like, oh, they changed their sound, so I don't like them anymore. But for Avenged Sevenfold, I can't really spin it any other way. I don't like Hail to the King. I like the stage even less. And somehow, this brand new song, Nobody, is worse, in my opinion, than every single song on those two albums. It's awful. I don't understand what Matt is doing with his voice. I don't understand the like the choice of instrumentation and progression that happens throughout this song. It feels and sounds so devoid of any sort of life and passion. Like, did they just go into a studio and were like, fuck it, press play, do whatever, do what happens, and then that was it? I hate it. I fucking hate this song. And I'm so sorry that this is how I have to come across about a band that I was so passionate about as a child. But I can't pretend that this is even, you know, remotely good. It's not. I think the album that this song is attached to comes out June 2nd. And I will listen to it and I will review it because I try to be like all encompassing of the alternative scene. And given how important events I'm old have been to me for my whole life, I do need to spend the time to at least hear the album and talk about it. But I have very, very little hope, if any at all, that this album will turn out to be anything other than an immense disappointment. A disappointment that I've already expressed before with other bands from that same time period, like Slipknot, Atreyu, Trivium. It's happening to events, and it's fine, I guess, but selfishly, I, I, I do wish things were different. And this actually does somehow like segue kind of nicely into me talking about the good singles for the week, because my favorite of the singles last week came from another band who I idolized as a child, and they went through a stylistic change too, and it has actually paid off for them. The Devil Wars Prada have a new song out right now called Reaching. It's off of the deluxe edition of Color Decay, which drops May 5th. Color Decay was one of the best records of not only last year, but the last like 10 years at the very least, if anything. I think that the transition from the Devil Wars Prada throughout the years has been one that I couldn't have seen coming. And I also don't know how 
prepared I would have been for it because I have this great attachment to their like metalcore slash somewhat crabcore stuff, if you want to call it that, like late 2000s. But what they can do now is fucking excellent. And the trade-off between Jeremy and Mike continues to be one of the best vocal dynamics in all of alternative music. I really love the riffage in the song and then how that leads into the verse and the chorus, a chorus that fits right in with all of the infectiousness of the rest of Color Decay and uh, just like how this song can kind of, uh, you know, go through all these avenues that perfectly sum up what the Divorce Prada stands for now and then finishing off with what is essentially a breakdown. It is true to the nature of the Divorce Prada while continuing to push their sound forward and I really fucking love that. One of the most talked about songs, not just last week on Twitter, but I feel like the entire year so far altogether, came from Scene Queen, and it is called 18 Plus. I do feel like this song kind of transcends just social commentary because of the already like over the top personality of Scene Queen and how she is somebody who you either fuck with her or you don't. And I've talked to people who exist on both sides of the argument. I have been substantially high on Scene Queen since hearing Bimblecore last year. I had Pink Panther in the top 100 songs, and then uh, Bimblecore was like number. 45 or 44 on the year-end records list. I don't remember exactly where it was, but my point is that I have celebrated seeing Queen's music a lot on this show, and 18 Plus might be her best song yet. Um, I think stylistically, it has all of the very, like, annoying elements of seeing Queen, and I acknowledge that they're annoying, but I still find entertainment in them. It manages to be heavy and quirky all at the same time, which is exactly what I want to hear out of Scene Queen. And then, lyrically, this song is very much so a stance against the reoccurring theme that we see in, specifically, this scene of music, where band members do not know what consent means, and then also what uh, the age of consent means. Pink wristbands on the guest list, bras hanging on the bus. Yeah, you get a lot of girls, but not one is 18 plus. 18 plus, 18 plus, get those children off your bus. I think it's very cool that somebody had the balls to put out this kind of a song with the understanding that she could easily be like blacklisted from, you know, certain opportunities later on because of this. But if you know Scene Queen and you've seen her social media presence, she really doesn't give a fuck. And I do find that to be admirable. What I don't find admirable though and this isn't about scene queen this is more so about how some people have been wielding this song so um i'll just say their names because there's not really another way to do it um palo royale got into some shit last week and all time low had a new album out and i did see not really a lot of people but i did see a, a handful respond to you know, tweets about Pally Royale or promotion for the all-time low album just saying something like, anyway, stream 18 plus by Scene Queen. Don't make this song's message a meme. Like, please don't do that. I don't want stream 18 plus to be like a a default response to bands with allegations or anything like that. Just 
support the song, support Scene Queen, and don't support bands with those ties to them. You can leave it at that without having to make this song a common response. There are some details available about the next Heart Attack Man album. I'll talk about those shortly, but first, here is a brand new single called Freak of Nature. And the album itself is also titled Freak of Nature. It drops May 26th. I last spoke about Heart Attack Man back in, I think it was November of 2021. It was the EP Thoughts and Prayers, which I did enjoy. Although I, I do probably like Freak of Nature more than anything off of that EP. And then potentially most, if not all of the rest of Hammy's discography. I think Freak of Nature is this really like chaotic and energetic punk song that resonates with me a lot lyrically and there is this little excerpt that i saw about the song that the vocalist eric uh, mentioned uh, the overarching theme is growing up i spent my entire 20s just feeling completely out of place it was like i hadn't found my people yet in early adulthood i went through a lot of shit mentally with freak of nature i'm embracing the fact i don't know what the hell i'm doing but it's okay and that means a lot to me on a great level right now and not to like get like super personal or like dive into anything that I shouldn't but I identify with that so much the idea of being in your 20s and just not really knowing what you're doing what is going on around you what anybody else around you is doing and kind of finding the peace and the acceptance in all that and I'm not there yet but I honestly feel like freak of nature has this potential to kind of help me along the journey and let me see that, you know, it's okay to be this age and feel the way that I do and that I'm not alone in that instance. And that's all probably really cliche and cheesy to say, but it's reality. And the reality is that Freak of Nature is a fucking awesome song. And I have this heightened level of excitement now for the rest of the album on May 26th. Brand new song out right now by Broadside and it features Brian Butcher from the home team. It is called Cruel. I'm not sure if i've talked about broadside before they had a single last year called one last time but i don't remember if it was a single that i discussed in detail or if i just mentioned it in uh conjunction with all the other singles that week what i will say about broadside is that they're a band who i feel like is still like kind of trying to find a, a place in my constant rotation outside of a song from into the raging sea which was called the raging sea the Raging Sea is like a top 75, top 60 song of the last couple of years. I fucking adore that song and it's like darker nature for Broadside. Cruel doesn't really share any elements with that. But what I will say about Cruel is that it is very catchy, very energetic. I think what is happening vocally here with uh, Ollie and Brian is is this perfect blend between the two styles from both artists and how they come together for Cruel. It does make it a very successful single for Broadside. And that is 
a a pattern and a trajectory that I would love for this band to follow because I would love to be fully sold on Broadside finally. It hasn't happened yet, but whatever the album or project is going to be that uh, comes after Cruel, I have hopes for, and I'm really excited for it. The final single that I will go into detail on comes from the ongoing concept, and it is called Feel Again. This is a new single off of their album again. It drops March 31st. I didn't actually realize until looking at the track listing a couple days ago that every song on again, it has the word again in it. So like the singles have been uh, Prisoner Again, Unwanted Again, Feel Again. That's actually really, really sick. I fuck with that a lot. And I fuck with Feel Again a lot. This is like pretty clearly my favorite single released so far for Again. And I feel like Feel Again, it gets across the like the themes and concepts by the ongoing concept. I didn't mean to say concept like three times recently, but um whatever. I, I feel like it gets all that across substantially well. And the constant switches in the song, how chaotic it is, I think maybe the best way that I can at least right now think of to describe this would be like a true metalcore take on what Swancore does. And I feel like that is perfect for the ongoing concepts style and feel again is the biggest glimpse right now into what i am hoping for is a very impressive and potentially generational album from the ongoing concept i love feel again and if you are into a song that can dive into metalcore as well as it can dive into you know uh, this groove oriented style for the scene I think Feel Again is going to be your shit. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Have You Ever Met God by A Story Told, ADD by Alt, Watch Me Burn by Atreyu, Begin Again by Barry Tomorrow, Emerald Light by Careful Gaze, Six Feet Under by Charlotte Sands, Erase Me by Cryblood, Self-Isolate by Dark Signal featuring Ryo Kinoshita, Ghosting You by Dead Bundy, Death's Calling by End of an Era, Blur by Endeavor, Consumed by Fake Your Death, Interstellar by Forts Like Vanna featuring Kellen Quinn from Sleeping With Sirens, Hate Me Too by From Ashes to New, Seraph by From Joy featuring Iris.exe, Coochie Frito by Jinx. I really hope I'm saying that correctly. I hope that song is actually called Coochie Frito. That'd be sick. Left Behind by Keep Flying, Tear Me to Pieces by Locket, Face Down by Magnolia Park, Ferrari by Microwave, Nain by Nick Nocturnal and R Mirage. Imposter by Red Hook featuring Michaela Delgado from Yours Truly. Rock Bottom by Savage Hands. Sad Crown by Smart Death. Lighthouse Keeper by The Barstool Preachers. Blue Eyed Boy by Trophy Eyes. Antisocial by Young Pinch. And Drowning in Sorrow by Zach Cash featuring Francesca Destruct from Fate Destroyed. There was one single that I gave a 3 to, and that was Freak by Codis. I love a lot of Codis material, and... For me, this song just doesn't sound like it's in alignment with any of those. Like, I cannot look at this song, or listen to the song, rather, and say that it's on the same 
uh, scale as like girl from the north or uh, don't fall asleep. It's just not. And, you know, it's fine. Sometimes you hoop, sometimes you don't. That's okay. Codis has more than enough material for me to have faith in him still. And so, yeah, those are all the singles. And now I'll go ahead and get into the records from last week. There were five of them. And I love what happened last week. I love the variety here. I love how some of these bands just put forth like what I think is their best material to date. I'm going to start off with one of the two albums that I gave a 10 to last week, and that is Trash World by Darknet. Side note, I don't love the fact that the term dark net is now in my Google search because I feel like I'm about to be on a list. But no, though, like for real, for real, I didn't know about dark net before last week. And it was a name that I saw constantly on Metalcore Twitter. And for as annoying as that sector of the scene can be at times, this is an instance where I am really thankful that the people who did not shut the fuck up about Darknet didn't shut the fuck up because this album and band altogether almost stole last week. Like, genuinely, I don't remember the last time I came across a brand new act that I had no prior knowledge of and was just instantly captivated by. And like, right when you get into the opening song on here, Scanner, there is this immediate sense of new metalcore that was probably amplified for myself um, because I had just seen Alpha Wolf live before hearing this record. And Alpha Wolf is one of the most like adjacent acts that I can think of in terms of a sound to compare Darknet to. But there is still something about Darknet's delivery that doesn't feel or sound ubiquitous. Like there are elements here that can be likened to other bands, but they don't have necessarily the ferocity of darknet scanner lets you know that right away through its rhythm and breakdowns and the chorus that gives off an atmosphere similar to what mood ring did last year on stargazer but in a more metalcore rooted fashion per se and those moments where darknet shine a light on the dark atmospheres with some clean singing involved it makes them feel like one of the biggest and most complete bands in the scene like on the song control alt delete where it feels and sounds to me like so effortless for them to go from those atmospheric almost cinematic moments right back into chaos and i just love that element to this band's sound and their progression and whenever they want to be brutally heavy like on idgaf and bff they can hold their own against any other bands in metalcore in that regard there are two interlude tracks, the title track, Trash World, and 3AM Vibe, that I think give off glimpses of what Darknet can be capable of in the future if they were ever to expand on their sound. And what I mean by that is that hearing those two songs, in some ways, I think they come across as being like Jordan Fish-esque in a way, especially 3AM Vibe, as that song does have these soothing sonic elements that can still display dark undertones at the same time the closing song stranded i believe encapsulates the overall style of darknet better than 
any other song could have for the like ending exclamation point on Trash World. This song just kind of throws everything at you, but it does so in a way that is very complimentary to the overall like grotesque yet um, rhythmic sensible style to Darknet. I feel like right now in particular, at least for myself, Metalcore is on the rise in a way that I haven't really seen in my time doing podcasts. Like there are so many instances beforehand where I can look at like metalcore releases for a given week and kind of think like, yeah, this didn't really stand out. They all kind of blend together, kind of sound the same. Darknet in any week, no matter who is releasing an album around them, they stand out and they stand out for all of the right reasons. This band is fucking sensational. They were made to hoop and they did nothing else but hoop on Trash World. And I think anybody who can find some kind of, um, like home or familiarity within this style of new metalcore, you are going to be treated to one of the best albums you will hear right now and potentially throughout the rest of 2023. There is a brand new EP out right now by Bayside. It is the blue EP. This is probably just going to be like really, really quick because it is a three track EP and I've already talked about two of the singles beforehand. So there isn't really a lot to get through for this in particular. Um, Bayside, for anybody who might not know, is a band that has been around for like well over two decades now. And I don't really want to like classify them as being like a pillar act for that era of like punk rock and pop punk and emo and whatever else you want to classify them as. Um, they are contemporaries with like Census Fail and Under Oath and From First to Last. But to me, Bayside have kind of acted as like the hidden superheroes of that era of the scene in a way. They're pretty fucking consistent. And I think their success does not really mirror that. And... I don't know if the blue EP is necessarily like the proper release to push their sound forward, but I think at the very least, this EP shows that they can still be really, really, really sick at their style whenever they want to be. Um, Go to Hell and How to Ruin Everything, they kind of show like the... I guess like the nature of Bayside that I have come to know and love in a really grandiose manner. I I think those two songs exist as like some of the brightest moments in recent history from Bayside, especially How to Ruin Everything. I think that song, when paired with the Spencer Charnas feature, it's really, really special. Um, The other song that wasn't a single here is Bad Intentions. I think that song kind of has like this heightened aggression in comparison to Go to Hell and How to Ruin Everything. And I think that contrasts the really catchy, almost like pop punk nature of the song Good Intentions, which was off of the Red EP, their prior EP. And for those reasons, the Blue EP is something that might 
end up being forgettable as time moves on, despite me acknowledging that this is actually a really, really solid EP. I think Bayside, they have a place in the scene no matter what. They're always going to be around. They're always going to be really reliable. Like I think whenever Bayside drops something, I can always count on them to have quality material no matter how dated they might be as an act. This one is going to be interesting for sure. Let's talk about 10,000 Gex by 100 Gex. I'm not even really sure how to properly start this off because I have never talked at length about 100 Gex before on this show. I think of anything, I've mentioned them when going through some singles and whatnot, but as far as dedicating some time to truly dive into 100 Gex, that has never been an opportunity made apparent to me until right now. And I don't think there's any way for me to actually do the description of 100 Gex Justice. They're kind of a band that you really, really do just need to hear for yourself. Because anything that I'm about to say in this review, if you have no prior knowledge of 100 Gex and who they are and what they sound like, this might make like little to no sense to you, but that's fine. At the very least, I, I do suggest, actually highly suggest for the sake of context, that anybody who isn't familiar with 100 Gex, you check them out. For better or worse, you are not going to forget them. And that's kind of always been the nature of them in terms of my um, knowledge of them and like somewhat fandom. There is no act in the history of this scene and maybe music altogether who I can say sound like 100 Gex because there is this constant, like, um, constant theme within how they sound but you also don't really, really ever know what they're actually going to sound like for an entire record. So when I press play on the opening song here, Dumbest Girl Alive, I was given everything that I could possibly want from 100 Gex because this song, it's really this disorganized amalgamation of production mishaps and a distorted riff and insane auto-tune on Laura and the exact lyrics from 100 Gex that I come to them to listen to. If you think I'm stupid now, you should see me when I'm high and I'm smarter than I look. I'm the dumbest girl alive. There is a really, really strong start to this record when looking at Dumbest Girl Alive, 757, and Hollywood Baby because those songs had their foundations established on the elements of 100 Gex that I personally really enjoy listening to. But the rest of the record delves into areas where I think things start to become puzzling in a way that isn't so complimentary to the sometimes charming nature that one can be puzzled in when listening to 100 Gex. Uh, Frog on the Floor is admittedly entertaining, but the folk nature of it mixed with Gex's traditional style isn't necessarily something that I'm able to sink my teeth into. Um, I think $1 million comes across as not needed, nor did it really add anything effective to the album outside of just being like a noise machine. Um, there are some good ideas mixed into the song, The Most Wanted Person in the United States, but it's a very quiet track that I think is sort of antithetical to the boisterous nature of 100 Gex, 
And then Me, Me, Me just feels like a flat closing song when comparing it to how tremendously well the record opened with Dumbest Girl Alive. So those are the negative elements that stood out to me. But in between all those songs still exists some highlights like Doritos and Fritos, which I think is mad fun and catchy. And the same is applicable to I Got My Tooth Removed. And in those moments, I'm able to have as much fun listening to 100 Gex as I am any other band in the scene right now. So while 10,000 Gex isn't an album that I'm likely to go back to often or mention again in December for year-end stuff, I still recommend hearing it because this really is an album that you kind of just need to listen to for your own sake and your own uh, like opinion-forming methods. Because me sitting here and telling you how this album sounds, it doesn't, it's like I said earlier, it doesn't do it any justice. You really do need to just listen to 10,000 Gigs or any 100 Gigs project at all for yourself to see how you really, really feel about this, for better or worse, once in a generation act. More Power, More Pain is the brand new record out right now by Gideon. I said during the Dark Knight review that Metalcore right now is up in a way that I haven't really seen in a while from the genre. I'm also going to expand that statement out to hardcore because I largely feel the same about that genre as well. Some of the hardcore releases I've been able to talk about in the recent months on this show have like genuinely reignited my passion for hardcore. And it isn't even necessarily just the songs that are making me feel that way. Like, I watched some footage from LDB Fest over the weekend, and just seeing that energy in the room and the amount of fun that the fans and the musicians alike were having, like, hardcore is such a special genre. And it's a genre that I have sometimes lost my way for, and I don't ever want that to happen again. And as long as bands like Gideon can continue to release material like they did on here, I don't see that happening. And that's really, really cool to me because I kind of felt about the rollout for this Gideon record that I did when talking about For the Fallen Dreams last week in the sense that the singles rollout I thought was good, but at the time there wasn't really anything that like stood out to me or like had like these, uh, these really impeccable highlights. Yet, when hearing the entire project all together as one, everything started to click. Everything made sense. I think the opening sequence for More Power, More Pain is one of the best that I've heard on any record so far this year. Like, the narration of Hell for a Man that comes across as like really eerie in some ways, mixed in with just how much Locked Out of Heaven punches you in the goddamn face immediately, makes for this intro section to the album that it like it really just gets you amped to fucking no end for the rest of this record and how marvelous locked out of heaven sounds in terms of getting across everything that you're going to hear because this album is 
brutal. It is moving. It is emotional. It is able to grab all of these emotions out of me while making me just want to throw my ass into a pit and just be fucking stomped out like fucking crazy. The song following that, Push It Back, is able to do the same thing. And by that point in the album, I just kind of feel like there is something really, really special happening here, especially through the shouting of the line, there will be bloodshed and just how like fucking insane of a live setting I would imagine this record can bring forth. And to me, what is able to help establish the album's core sound is how fluid and crisp everything throughout it sounds without ever feeling the same, if that makes any sense. Like, I don't get damned if I do confused with Off the Rails or the final nail confused with Midnight Blue. Everything is able to stand on its own with its own character. And there are many instances previously with records I've talked about from Hardcore where I felt like maybe that wasn't uh, an element that a band managed to master. But here on this album, Gideon did just that. Um, two of the like standout songs that I feel are able to, um, kind of act as like foundation pieces for the album. The first one being, if you love me, let me go. And I did kind of see this joke be made on Twitter and discord about this song sounding like counterparts. And the first time I heard it, that was also my initial thought. Like this really, really does remind me of counterparts, but it doesn't sound like a ripoff of counterparts in any way. It doesn't sound like this band listened to the style of counterparts and thought, okay, how can we do that? I feel like it's just the natural evolution of this song that gives off that vibrancy and it's able to do so in a way that makes it, in my opinion, the standout song on more power, more pain. If you love me, let me go is fucking insane. And then there's also, I will carry you. And I think with that song, it's the melody choices for the instrumentation that were made that kind of uh, allow it to branch out and be something larger than life in the grand scope of the album. And by the time that you get to the closing song, Let Her Fly, which is kind of like an interlude in a way, but not really an interlude, it's able to, um, like kind of wrap the ideas of more power, more pain around in this really unique way. And to me, it's a, a great way to close out this album, even if it's kind of uh, the polar opposite in a way of what more power, more pain is speaking to. Having gone through the album several times, I believe that this is one of the strongest showcases of the year so far for hardcore. And if I really think about it, maybe the decade as a whole. Gideon did not disappoint whatsoever with this album. If anything, they surpassed all of my expectations and delivered something that is going to stick with me for a really long time. And I am genuinely excited to see where this album ends up being by the time year ends here. And for the final record of the episode, if you have made it this far, I am going to go ahead and like peel back the curtain sort of and let you know that as of right now, as of this day, this album is my record of the year so far. Heavener by Invent Motherfucking Animate.
And the honest truth is that I wasn't expecting to get on here and say something like that about Invan Animate. And that's not meant to disparage them in any way. I've always known how talented they've been ever since Everchanger released back in 2014. There's always been a clear prowess in the progressive metalcore style that Invent Anime have been able to wield. My thing is just that they've kind of always, up to this point, been a band that is like base level good for me for metalcore. Um, some of the bands that they've been compared to before, like Era and Northlane, I generally liked what they were doing in this echelon of the genre more so than Invent Anime. And it didn't matter, you know, whether it was Marcus on vocals or Ben. It kind of, in some ways, without being disrespectful, it was always going to take some effort from Invent Anime to really sell me on what it is that they were doing. The opportunity for that to happen, it was there in 2020 off of Grayview, which was their last record on Tragic Hero Records. And I have like some um, not so great stories from a personal matter to relate to Grayview because of just things that were happening in my life around the time of the singles rollout for that. And then the album released on March 13th in 2020 and if anybody remembers, you know, I'm sure you do, that was the week where COVID became like a real thing and the pandemic was a, a real thing that we all had to like prepare for. And I remember the day Graveview released, it was the same day that um, uh, Ocean Grove released Flip Phone Fantasy and Code Orange put out underneath. And I was sitting in a Starbucks. It was the last time I was able to do that for a while. And I was sitting there just kind of seeing on social media like what was happening in the world and kind of all of the empty seats around me and thinking like, this is fucked. Like, this is absolutely fucking crazy. And that really did hinder my ability to enjoy all of those albums that were out that day. And Graveview was no exception. And the times I've been able to go back to the album since then, there is appreciation on my end for what is happening on Graveview. But ultimately, and even taking off the lenses of like, you know, a uh, pandemic trauma and all that shit. I still viewed it as like what I said before, a base level, good medical album, nothing extraordinary, but also nothing that I thought was going to put off me from giving invent anime more chances. I knew the potential for them to truly blossom was there. And I just kind of needed a, a little bit more assurance that they'd be able to do that. In 2021, there was what I saw as a real legitimate glimpse into how fucking good Invent Animate were eventually going to be. And that was on the EP, The Sun Sleeps As If It Never Was. And so those two songs, The Sun Sleeps and then As If It Never Was, they were able to kind of take my brain and reprogram almost entirely throughout just those two songs, how I looked at Invent Animate. Because what they were doing on that EP, it eclipse what I felt about Graveview in this really monstrous way. And it made me believe that whatever the next project from Invent Animate was going to be, it would change almost the complete perception of how I looked at this band, and hopefully for the better. I think the first single for the record, Shade Astray, which came out back in June, so this has been cooking for a while, that was another song that just kind of made me understand the direction that Invent Animate is going in right now, 
if this is like a real trajectory, not just for one song or for one EP, but for a whole record, they can have a case to being one of the best metalcore bands in the scene altogether. Shade Astray benefits so much from giving Invent Animate this canvas to paint with these really just like brutal and insane verses and then a chorus that has no business being as like enchanting and heavenly as it sounds. But that's what happened with Shade Astray. And the same thing happened months later with Elysium. Elysium is just, God, I, I cannot find the words to really summarize how I feel about Elysium. And I didn't do it properly enough back in November because had I fully realized how much I like Elysium, it would have been in the top 100. But for whatever reason, it wasn't. And that's my fault. Elysium should have been there. That song is incredible. And I don't even care that it's the closing track and they put that out as a single ahead of time. I don't believe me having already been exposed to Elysium before hearing the rest of Heavener hindered my enjoyment of that song in any way. It is still a proper fucking metalcore song. The next single thereafter was Immolation of Night. And to me, Immolation kind of embodies the like more aggressive side to Heavener. And that aggressive side consists of some of the most like just engulfing metalcore sounds I've been able to listen to in recent memory. There are so many twists and turns in Immolation of Night that make me believe in Van Animate over the course of one record figured out metalcore more properly than almost all of their contemporaries right now. I kind of alluded to this on the Twitter account for Ulterior last week, but in the buildup and preparation for Heavener, I just feel like there has been this aura around Invent Animate where it feels like the scene is rallying around them and people were really pushing for them to put out a record that can exist in the highest of regards for metalcore because everybody and anybody who heard those singles beforehand knew what could happen here and in hearing the full record i feel like that is exactly what we ended up getting in my opinion heavener is like at the very very least one of the top five metalcore albums of the last five years. I do not remember the last time that an entire metalcore project like this really moved me to the point where I can say that this makes a case for the entire genre resting on the shoulders of Invent Animate. Maybe not even since like Welcome to Harwood, I felt this strongly about. And that effect is immediately noticeable through Absence Persistent, which it, it does the proper buildup for an intro song that this kind of an album calls for. And just the way that that song can kind of, in some ways, show you everything you need to know about Heavener without really letting loose everything. It, it's the perfect opening song. I think the song Labyrinthine does an amazing job at just kind of furthering that aggression and the brutal nature of Invent Animate in a way that, like I've said before, it puts them on that pedestal and it makes them one of the best metalcore bands in the scene. And that's only three tracks in. And then once again, to Without a Whisper, which did get music video treatment prior to the album's release, you're kind of able to once again see that melodic side to Invent Animate and just how well they can navigate that kind of a sound while staying true to who they are. Um, 
False Meridian. I, okay, I kind of, at times when scrolling through Twitter, cringe at certain accounts who make metalcore their entire personality and they're just like so obsessed with the genre and they only like to listen to heavy shit from it. You know, to me, like, it's kind of like, okay, whatever, dude. I became that person when I heard False Meridian and the breakdown in the middle of the song is one of the fucking filthiest things I have ever heard in my life. Like genuinely jaw dropping. I could not believe how captivated I was by that song. And in that same breath of captivation, I was able to feel the same way right afterwards with Reverie, which is so antithetical to anything else on Heavener, but it is the like almost malevolent beauty in which that song is able to craft its sound that makes it stand out from everything else. And I think any song thereafter, like Purity Weaves Voice Surfacing, Ember Glow, you're kind of able to find that balance between what makes Heavener so beautiful and what makes it so chaotic and energetic. The ability that Invent Animate has, and they found on this record, to take every idea and sound that they have in their minds and relay it in this really charming manner. It helps make Heavener an experience that I will never ever be able to forget. I am always going to remember for the rest of my life where I was when I first heard Heavener, how I felt about every song, how I felt once the album had concluded, and I knew immediately that Invent Animate did not just put out an album that redefines their sound. I think this redefines metalcore as an entire genre. And this is definitely something where, you know, maybe in the future we do see some bands, I don't want to say like emulate Heavener, but they do use this sound as a base for what metalcore can and maybe in some regards should sound like. And that is entirely thanks to the hard work and the passion and the dedication found within every member of Invent Animate and the way that they set out to make an album that was going to be nothing less than absolutely perfect and stellar because that is exactly what Heavener is. It is perfect. It is generational. This is one of the greatest metalcore albums I've ever heard in my life, and I don't want to pull myself away from it in any way. And that's it. That was every album and ep and single philosophy for me to review and this is one of those moments where i feel pretty good about the direction of the scene and the direction of this podcast altogether because i, I i've kind of felt like initially early on and maybe i didn't really express this but there were moments where i thought like you know are, are any of these bands like really really going to hoop like I, i've enjoyed some albums this year definitely but not until right now, combining Invan Animate with Darknet, did I really feel like bands are operating at the highest level they ever have. And it, it makes me excited about the future to know that they are. And there are more projects coming out this year, whether it's Sleep Token or Current, who my excitement level for could not be any higher. And I'm really, really eager to get to listen to whatever it is these bands are going to be doing and tell you guys exactly how I feel about it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And, as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.